Years ago, my wife and I had the joyous occasion to announce to family and friends and to the church I was serving that we were going to have a child. After that Sunday announcement, one of the longtime members of the church came up to me and with a great deal of anger in her voice said, how dare you bring a child into a world like this? Well, I was stunned in silence. But even all these years later, you catch the truth of what she was trying to say. We live in a world that is often dark and dangerous, do we not? Think of the crime, the corruption, the mendacity, the inequality, the oppression, the racism, the homophobia, the fear all around, afraid, afraid, afraid in a world of darkness. And it's not just out there either, is it? It's in here as well. All of us have dark shadows in our lives, places of shame and guilt, fear, hopelessness, meaninglessness, longing, and we are afraid, afraid, afraid of the dark. Even the church, this mystical body of Christ, gets caught up in this, don't we? Spiritual torpor, a sense that we've lost our confidence in the gospel, declining numbers, and it makes us afraid. Well, that fact puts us in line with the three apostles that we meet in today's gospel. Peter and the two brothers, James and John. They are among the first that Jesus called to follow him. They have been with him from the beginning. They have seen and heard everything. And we assume that they were mesmerized by Jesus, as were many others. But think what it was like for them to be with Jesus on a typical day. Hordes of people coming around him, people who were sick and diseased and leprous, poor, hopeless, fearful. This was a crowd that carried darkness with them. And then significantly we have the demoniacs. And when the apostles saw those demoniacs, they were looking at the face of evil itself. What must they have felt like at the end of a day with Jesus, surrounded by all of this pain and perplexity and fear? And it had gotten worse. Just a week prior to these events, Jesus had told his disciples, you know, we're heading toward Jerusalem and the dark clouds will gather there and I will be betrayed and tortured and handed over to sinful hands and I will die. And now they're walking toward Jerusalem and they come to the great Mount Tabor the Mount of Transfiguration. 
Those of you who were on the pilgrimage last spring will remember what a steep and imposing mountain this is. And Jesus says to those three disciples, we've got to climb to the top so I can pray. And I can almost hear them saying, oh, Jesus, come on. This mountain's high. You can pray anywhere. Why at the top? No, we must go. It's a reminder that sometimes Jesus asks us to do hard things. So they climb as the sun sets and they stumble exhausted to the summit of the mountain. But then something happens. Like a bolt of lightning from heaven, Jesus is changed, transfigured, metamorphosized. He becomes glowing, and especially his face. He is reflecting the divine glory, as Peter says in his letter. He is full of light. And with him are Moses and Elijah, the representatives of the law and the prophets. And they're talking. And guess what they're talking about? They're talking about Jesus' departure. Exodus in the original language. Jesus' exodus which he must accomplish in Jerusalem. They're talking about his death on the cross. And then it's over. It's back to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. Well, what can we say about this? Well, it's a mystery, and I can't pretend to explain it all, but I think of it as a time when time and space collapse. When the veil between the earthly and the heavenly, the supernatural and the natural, collapses, and we, along with those three apostles, catch a glimpse of Jesus in glory. This is the risen Christ. This is the one who has triumphed over death. This is the Son of God, Son of Man, predicted in the Old Testament. This is the one in whom the fullness of the glory of God chooses to dwell, and now it is shining forth for them to see. And they are filled with awe and terror. They head to Jerusalem. This whole episode of the Transfiguration is bookended, so to speak, by talk about the cross, about what will happen to Jesus. There in Jerusalem, the forces of evil, the forces of darkness will gather in full force, and they will attack. And Jesus on the cross will embrace that attack. No trying to escape, no vengeance, Nothing like that. He embraces it and makes it his own. Now get this. As a sign of how committed God is to us. God acting in Christ was taking on all that's wrong with the world and with us and absorbing it. Have you ever heard about faithfulness and commitment? And love like that? 
And then on the third day comes the resurrection whereby the power of God, the love and life of Christ conquers all and he assumes his state of glory for eternity. This is who he is. Transfigured. Now, part of the point of this story, it seems to me, is that this transfiguration may have been a way of God encouraging Jesus. That we don't know. But certainly, it is an episode for us. There in time and space, God acted. And the disciples saw it and heard it and felt it because that's the way God works. God intervenes in our lives. God is the God who lives and comes to us in all kinds of ways to transfigure us. Not only was Jesus transfigured, changed, but those three apostles were as well. The story of the majestic glory is a story for us to inspire and to encourage that those moments of change, of transfiguration that we long for will happen. Let me give you some instances. Years ago, I was uh, baptizing an infant in church. It was a gloomy day, but as I was pouring water on the little boy's head, the clouds broke and there was a stream of light that came in through the window of the church and, and landed right on the little boy. Afterwards, his grandmother came scurrying up to me and she said, Did you see that? Did you see it? It was a miracle. Well, the real miracle was the baptism. In that act, in that little bit of water attached with sacred words, God was adopting a son. God was making that person part of the death and resurrection of Christ. God was making that person part of the holy people of God. God was forgiving sins. God was acting in a way that made it so this little boy was completely transfigured. Never the same again. In the church that I last served, the parents of the church made it fairly clear that they did not want their infants and children to commune until they had reached an age where they could be instructed. And our rule was when the kids begin to ask about what's going on in communion, they would send them to me and I'd spend some time with them. I remember the day that a little girl came up for her first communion. And I put the bread in her hand and I said, this is the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. And she took it and looked at it 
and smiled. She was transfigured. She was participating in nothing less than a risen Christ. Changed. A couple of weeks ago, I was fretting about a family problem. And it had been keeping me up at nights. And one particular night it was bad. I was up. You know this story. Three o'clock in the morning, thrashing around, praying, worrying, wondering what might happen. And then it happened. In my head, I heard a voice not my own. The voice said, just trust me. And I was changed. Do you want that? Do you want transfiguration? It's yours. <laughs>